The Rouge Report is brought to you by Young's Equipment, your Case IH dealer in Southern Saskatchewan. Young's is home to a wide selection of new and used Case IH combines to meet your needs for any size farm. Their experienced technicians and a wide selection of parts will keep you running all season. Go to youngs.ca and use podcast code Rouge, R-O-U-G-E, for your chance to win a Rider's Prize package. Welcome to the Rouge Report, presented by Young's Equipment. I'm Cody Fajardo. And I'm Isaac Harker. Follow along as we tackle CFL topics one point at a time. Rough Rider Podcast. Rouge Report, episode 11. Kind of a sad addition to the uh, podcast, as it were. <sighs> yeah, it's one of those It's one of those episodes you got to get out and you got to talk about it as much as you don't want to talk about it. But yeah, news coming in and uh, the season's canceled. We kind of saw that coming though, right? It's kinda, I mean, just reading the media... Early on, you could see it coming, and then they gave us this little hope these last week, week and a half, I would say, where like, maybe they do pull this thing off. Is that what you were feeling? Oh, man. I Two days ago, I was for sure. I was I like had my stuff packed. I was so excited, <laughs> dude. Your suitcase is already next to the door. Yeah, huh? and uh, got all the rider gear packed, nicely folded, and now it, all, all for naught. Now it's just going to collect some dust in the closet, or are you going to wrap it around? Oh, town? obviously. I love the rider gear, man. Wearing it every day. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you do wear it every day. I would assume you'd wear it every single People day. People are like, uh, I guess you play for the Rough Riders. <laughs> yeah. Okay, we get it. You play for the Riders. <laughs> yeah, man, tough tough news coming out. I, I just want to take a little bit more of a positive side to it. I, I put it out on my Twitter, but... There was a lot of people that worked really hard uh, on making the season happen. And I think that kind of is going a little bit unnoticed because of the unfortunate news. But there was a lot of people within the PA and even on the CFL side that worked really hard and really exhausting days and nights and was able to, you know, put their best foot forward. It's unfortunate. It's like a it's like a football game, right? You need all 12 players, 24 players technically to all come together and, and pull this thing off. And unfortunately we came up short at the end. Yeah. And I'm trying to stay positive and I don't want to discount all the hard work and energy people put into everything, but man, I'm, I'm just really disappointed. It's just a, a lot of eight months, eight full months of going five days a week, putting in really long days and hours to try and bring a gray cup to Sask and be a positive player on the team and everything. And then it's just, it it does suck because like that's my favorite thing in the world is to play football and the grind and the process of it all and then to have not have it for a year is is disappointing for sure. Oh, I, I tell people this all the time. I've been playing football since I was six years old and I'm 28 now. So, you know, 20 what is that? 22 years of football in my life, year after year, where athletically my schedule was always planned out. Like I always knew what I was looking forward to. I always knew what, what I needed to do in the off season. I always knew how to plan. And now there was so much uncertainty over the last few months, but now having a whole year, I guess the one silver lining is my body gets a year away from football, which is really nice to think about, you know, just giving yourself that uh, from your body, but mentally, 
I'm happiest when I'm playing football. And I, I know a lot of us around the league are, and that's what's going to be tough for a lot of these guys mentally is trying to stay happy without football in your life. Yeah, it's just been such a constant and like also not being able to like compete. Like, I mean, you can like play three on three basketball or whatever, but it's not the same like as going up against the best people in the world at what you're doing and being really hyper competitive about it. There's going to be a, a gap there for sure. No doubt. Here's a question for you. You win the lottery and it's 30 million on the dot. Are you giving it all to the CFL or are you trying to rally and pocket some in your pocket? Some oh, hundred percent. It's all going there. hundred <laughs> percent. I was thinking about just donating so, the rest of the little cash I have left to be like, Hey, here's, here's a couple thousand dollars. What do you guys think you can do with this? Start a GoFundMe. And, this should cover uh, Cody's he, game he, check he, for two games. <laughs> <laughs> you should honestly you should just take that thousand whatever you have in your bank account go down and buy all lotto tickets with it and that's your big <laughs> chance and you could be the savior of the cfl you can be owner player part owner part player first time ever i, I would oh, i'm starting i'm well <laughs> you're benching me are you benching <laughs> first things first we got to get rid of fajardo <laughs> Yeah. I'm the only quarterback okay, on the exactly. roster. <laughs> We're going to ride with one quarterback this year. It's going to be me. I'm going to play through everything. <laughs> Player, coach, offensive coordinator. I'll call the defense as well. You know, Sting's coming to every play. Yeah, that would be intense. Yeah, all, all the other quarterbacks are going to need to go somewhere else because we're just going to knock out like a bunch of quarterbacks just because we're stinging every play. <laughs> You're just hitting the quarterback. You're just telling your defense, hit the quarterback. I don't care if they score. Make sure he feels We're going to come back. We will. <laughs> uh, so what, what's your plans now that it's officially official that uh, there will be no season? What, what are you looking into? Yeah, so the draft prep group I was doing my stuff with before I went into the league, I think I'm going to start training quarterbacks for them and working with them with financial stuff as well. But then also I've got – But that's hard too, what's right? That? Because – because college is getting canceled too, so that that's hard too. There's can't be a lot of people who are willing to pay right now, knowing that there is no yeah, season. That's that's also true. It's just I just don't want to go into the econ job and settle into an office job just yet. I'm feel like, dude, you're not an office no. guy. You're just not. I've seen you in the film room on six cups of coffee. <laughs> you cannot sit at a cubicle all day. You will go banana. I know. I gotta. I've, I do have a kind of a creative endeavor that I'm kind of trying to plan out right now. Is it like uh, your own, your own um, thing? It's kind of it? for the league, but through my idea, like the old NFL film stuff, I want to put together some like real, like clean videos that are like kind of promotional for the league and like try and stir up some excitement and get the, like the magic of getting those old VHS tapes of the NFL films and try and get that going for the Canadian league. Yeah. I mean, that's a great idea. And I think that's one part where I think we could be better as a CFL marketing aspect. Um, I think they do a decent job in Canada, but the U S is such a big market and every single person that has followed me throughout my career and has watched me in the CFL has reached out at some time or the other and said, watching the Canadian league is so much more fun than watching the NFL. 
And so to market in there, even though you're going up against a beast in the NFL, you don't have to win over every single person in the U.S. You just have to win over a small portion and that will have things go through the roof. If you can get a TV network through the United States, that is already generating another source of revenue as opposed to us right now. We're only through TSN and that's what kind of handcuffs us because we only have one revenue stream from television. Yeah, and I feel there's like... I, I mean, obviously I may be biased, but I feel like there's a magic to the CFL game and like all the different rules and how it's set up and how quick paced it is. I think it's just a matter of getting the word out and getting people to try and immerse themselves into the game because once once you're in it, I feel like you're in it for life. And the only thing, and the only thing I've noticed is the U.S. people that follow the CFL all have some sort of connection to a player in the CFL. There's not many U.S. fans that are just like, oh, I'm just a fan of the CFL. It's usually because, oh, I know so-and-so who plays in the CFL, so I watch a couple games here and there, and I love it. You know, it's not like we just have fans dedicated to CFL in the U.S., and I think that's something that's got to change. And then also what people have been bringing up, the eSports. That has been so big. Uh, and such a money generating thing with Madden and NCAA back then and, all, and you know, NBA, 2K and all that stuff. How there hasn't been a CFL video game is beyond the one that's legitimate is beyond. Yeah, because like there's that Doug Flutie's Maximum Football, but you, I've, I've, I've really wanted to buy it. But once I see reviews and see gameplay online, it just looks a little too broken to be like to where you can really immerse yourself and like put hours into it and stuff like that. If anyone could do it, you could probably do it. You need to start coding a CFL game. That, that would, would be that would sick. be so cool. And I think yeah, just a it'd take probably the better part of a year to get the code down and everything, but then like the problem runs into you just don't have enough money to cuz I can't animate and do like a bunch of the stuff. I could maybe do the coding and like the physics of the game and everything, but once you get to the point of like uh-huh. animating and like the UI and stuff like that, I don't know. How, how good I'd get that. Man, we should start a go. We, if we would have found out that the season was canceled in February or whenever early, that would have been something really cool to start. I started GoFundMe and we just kind of try and build this CFL video game because that would be to put your name on that, being the first guys as players. Like I would create my guy, he'd be 99 <laughs> overall. Your guy would be 98 <laughs> overall. Yeah. <laughs> So I think we moving forward, we just need to put all of our chips into 2021, making it the best CFL season ever, right? Market the heck out of it. Make sure that there's excitement about it. I've seen a lot of people talking about, well, we don't know if the virus is going to quite uh, be over by then. If it's not over by next summer, then we are struggling as not only, you know, as a world, right? But I, I think that there will be a vaccine soon. Uh, the positive in me thinks that we're not going to skip a beat in next year's game. There's just a lot of uncertainties going into it. But, man, if we can just now knowing the answer and not being strung along anymore and not trying to figure out what we're going to do for 2020 and just focus everything on 2021, I think we can make this next year a truly incredible year. Yeah, and I'm, that's that's what we got to cling to now because it's just the, the gap obviously isn't a good thing now, but maybe we could spin it into something more positive moving forward. If we get 2021 rolling, like you said, just in all the, all the right ways and positive. And hopefully, hopefully the, the pandemic has neared its end or has ended completely by then. 
Yeah, and I think you don't realize what you have until you lose it. And I think there a lot of players, a lot of fans especially, uh, staff members are going to realize how much they truly do love the CFL not having it for a whole year. And I know me personally, when I step back on the field again for the first time, I'm going to be very thankful and just miss it completely and be like, man, I took so many things for granted that uh, I don't ever want something like that to happen again unless I'm truly just walking away from the game. Yeah, and I mean, the CFL is such a part of me now that to to lose it for for one season is is bad enough, so hopefully we can just I mean, 2021 is it. Got to get it. You know, it's it's tough for you too cuz you had your first year was last year, right? And you fight you got your feet wet and now you're like, "Dude, okay, I feel experienced. I feel like I know the game a little bit more." And I'm sure you're looking forward to the season and then all of a sudden this happens and now it's like everyone's got to restart. I mean, missing a year of football is going to be so weird getting back on the field timing wise, feeling like feeling the pressure from the defense coverages. Like, yeah, you can watch a bunch of tape, but it's completely different when you're in the pocket and you have to dissect it that way. So that is, there's, it's going to be a little bit of a learning curve. I think for a lot of guys who have missed a year of football and just getting back out there and finding your rhythm again uh, is going to be tough. Yeah. And also, a lot of people are going to have to start working full time until next season. So for guys who are able to work full time and still train really hard or guys who are fortunate enough to not have to necessarily work full time and they're still able to train all the way through May could be an advantage as well. It just it's there's a lot of question marks because we don't even know what's going to happen with contracts and things like that as well. So that's I mean, that's a great point, too, is there's going to be a lot of people who cannot afford to you know spend six months not working and just training now you're going to have to get a job you have a family you got mouths to feed you got mortgage payment and stuff like that and so going into a season you might not be in the best shape that you would be normally and it could lead to more injuries right so that's another thing that's going to be very tricky it could be a I mean a lot of players get into their career and be like, well, is it worth it? I finally got into my career. Is it worth leaving now? And for a year and then say I get cut, I'm just out of my job. So there might be a lot of guys just walking away from the game completely, which is kind of crazy to think about, but uh, making that tough decision of, all right, well, maybe this year forced some guys into retirement. I know that there's a few older guys in the league who said, if the season's canceled, I'm just going to retire. And and those are some pretty big names. So uh, yeah, man, that's it's going to be a different CFL in 2021, I I believe. But there is so much uncertainty still with contracts between coaches, between players. Um, coaching changes are going to happen. I think overall restructures of the league and salary cap is going to happen. I think that guys are going to have to take pay cuts or move teams and – and possibly the the thing everyone's dreading is the free agent frenzy is if everybody's contracts are voided because you're not getting paid, um, does everyone become a free agent? So, yeah, and I'll, you also got to yeah. really feel for the employees of the league who aren't players or coaches as well because it's, it's going to be an uncertain time for them too. And it's not easy to find a job anywhere with how the pandemic's going and the unemployment rate and everything. So it's just like a lot of people are going to be under duress and hopefully people can pull through the adversity and make positives of it. And that's another good point. I think a lot of these teams are going to try and skate by as little as they can. So they can't have, you know, 150 plus operation of, of workers. So they're going to find ways where they have workers doing multiple jobs 
and there will be less employees and that's going to be hard to, you know, once the season gets going and then things start making money again, then you can rehire these people. But that could be one to four years out, right, before everything kind of normalizes. But you're exactly right. There's not much work out there for people as is. So for, I feel for all of us CFL guys, we had to wait so long for a decision. And now the decision's made and we've already missed you know, the higher back curve, most people already got hired back to their jobs and there's just not many job openings for uh, us players because it's this late. And also year. I'm feeling really, really sad for the fans as well because we have the best fans around and them not getting football for a year, especially during times where things may be tough and you could like look to that for some sort of solace at least one day a week, like watching games or going out to practices and seeing your favorite guys and stuff. That's really it's terrible for the fans too. And I know that I know that there's a lot of family members that they all take a trip like say they're, you know, spread across Canada but everybody shows up for the Labor Day game or everybody shows up for the opening home game and that's going to be missed. So you're going to miss family time, uh right? Because usually you're in the stadium with your family and there's just those traditions what make the CFL game but especially the Rough Riders team in general like the traditions we have that the fans have uh, carried on um, is just not going to be there and you're going to miss those traditions. So it's hard to plan for a 2021 season when there's no certainty going forward, right? My, my family had um, Grey Cup hotels already booked and stuff like that, just looking forward to just having the Grey Cup in Saskatchewan. And now you, you got to figure out what you're going to do with just the season next year. Like when are you going to come up and is there going to be a season and just, is there going to be a league? And so that's, I mean, that's just tremendously tough on everybody, but fans included. Yeah. And there's just, yeah, so many question marks, no real way to plan. You just got to hope for the best and pray for the best outcomes for everybody involved, I guess. Yeah, no doubt. Keep in staying positive. I think the last thing we need to do is start pointing fingers at who did what wrong. I think we need to rally together more than ever. Just kind of on a lasting point is I think everybody needs to pull together. It's too late to point fingers now. Obviously, we dropped the ball somewhere somehow, but if we're going to divide each other up and, and start pointing blame, we'll never be able to make it to 2021. So now's the time for us to rally. And that's not really, it's not productive in any setting to dwell on mistakes or try and place blame but moving for like trying to figure out the move going forward instead of trying to figure out where things went wrong that's exactly it if we spend all of our time trying to see where things went wrong we're going to lose time focusing on the future right so um with all the negativity of all that we do have some positivity we have bobby the cuddles jurison I believe is what they called him, <laughs> the cuddles growing up. And uh, I watched his highlight tape, and boy, did, I'm going to have nightmares tonight. Oh, man, he's just an absolute terror on quarterbacks. And I don't know, did you get a chance to watch that uh, history thing that the CFL did on him, the couple episodes on YouTube? Oh, I, yeah, the oh, Hall of Fame It's thing? incredible. Yeah, oh, yeah, I watched that. I loved it. And like I said, I'm going to have nightmares because that guy was just a terrorizer. And anytime I'll state this before we get into the interview, anytime a defensive player takes off his helmet and he's wearing a bandana, you know, that's one <laughs> bad dude. You know, you're going to be so running into some problems. He definitely, 
he definitely had the persona of like, okay, this guy's going to try and kill me. I personally believe if I was the quarterback and he got to play with some of the highest touted CFL quarterbacks, you know, Doug Flutie, Damon Allen, those guys in the late eighties, nineties, um, when the CFL had these incredible, incredibly talented players. And so I just have, I have so many questions uh, for him. I heard that he's got a great stories, but I'm, you know, I'm looking forward to this interview with the all time sack leader, right? He's yeah. And he seems like, uh, he seems like the JJ Watt, both in like level of play and persona before JJ Watt. So he kind of paved the way for those like huge menace defensive, uh, linemen just getting after the quarterback. Yeah, man. And there was a different times in the late eighties and nineties, you know, they always talk about eighties and nineties quarterbacks were a different breed. Eighties and nineties defensive players was a completely the different guy led the breed. league in like, sacks on I, one I'm leg. Still... Yeah, that's what he said. I saw that. Sixteen sacks on a torn ACL. People I can't even wrap my anymore. mind around you, that. You have a you have a little tweak in your knee, you're sitting for a game or two, uh, let alone uh, just wrap me up and and I'll play. And then playing at a high level where you get 16 sacks, that's what's incredible about that. So I, I can imagine walking into a game plan and just knowing like, okay, how are we going to block this guy this week? Are we going to dedicate two to him every single time? And then it opens up someone else. So um, he definitely got to, from the documentary, what I saw was there were some rough years for the Rough Riders, and then he got in, and it turned it around really One of the coolest quickly, things I so, saw was uh, uh, they brought in a sports psychologist, and everyone got their ring size for the Grey Cup ring before the season started and stuff like that. I have a relatable story because Mark Tressman came in with the Argos. We were the worst team in the league the year before, and then we signed Coach Tressman. He literally put on our calendar the parade for the Grey Cup. Every day he talked about that. He said, okay, and then I want you guys, and this is in training camp. Okay, we're just going to go through the schedule. He'd go through the schedule and be like, all right, this is the day of the parade. Uh, make sure that your, you know, your family comes up for this and, and all this. And at the time I was thinking like, dude, this guy's already cashing in a win, <laughs> like a great cup win. And everything just laid out exactly how he put it. And it's because he put it in our minds and guys started believing from day one. And we talked about a little bit with Ricky was he talked about running to the ball from day one and he'd show it every single day uh, at, at the watching film. He would show every single day guys running to the football, guys running to the football. And the same guy on day one of training camp, he showed the clip. Ricky shared this with us. Uh, he ran to the football and on the gray cup ran to the football, punched it out and we scored a defensive touchdown and changed the whole mindset of the game. So yeah, there's something about speaking it into existence. I, I definitely believe in that. And you start believing it in your mind and your mind's a powerful thing, but sizing your ring. That's, that's a little crazy, right? <laughs> that gave me chills, dude. I it gave me chills when I was watching the documentary I for sure. If you walk in training camp next year and they're like, okay, I want you to take your ring size. Are you fired up or are you oh, like, I'm fired what are up. doing? And <laughs> I, I, I think like listening to him talk in, in this interview, but also in the documentary, you can like feel how much he loves football by when he just talks about it. It just is very yeah. energizing. And what, what is cool is you can't fake that. You, you can tell guys who fake love football and you can tell guys who extremely love football. And, and when it screams at you off the screen, when you're watching just even a 30 minute documentary and in our interview, you can tell he absolutely loves football. And that's why it was so exciting to get him on the show. Yeah. And, and without further ado, we want to get you guys into the interview with Bobby Jurison and enjoy. Direct West is a proud sponsor of the Rouge Report. 
Are you a busy business owner needing help with your marketing? Things like updating your Google listing, thinking of a headline for a billboard, or making sure your website is in good shape? That's where Direct West comes in. Let them help with over 100 years of expertise at directwest.com. So we want to welcome in Bobby Cuddles Jurison to our (laughs) 11th episode of The Rouge Report. And I got a million dollar question for you. Here it is. You say that the Rising Sun bandana was a superstition. Did you wash it game to game or did you let that thing just soak up all the sweat and all the goodness going into the next week? Oh, no, that was washed. I took care of that thing game to game. I washed it. I took care of it. And plus, I had a couple extra here and there. So it wasn't the same one. But the thing that I did wear every single game was a, t- was a T-shirt our coach at uh, Northern Michigan University, Herb Grenke, gave us. Our D-line was hit, shed, pursue. And that was ingrained into my head at a young age. And... um Every college game that I played and every professional game that I played, I wore that T-shirt under. Really? I love that. Yeah, that's awesome. And Norm Fong, I think it's made, there's more thread in there than there is T-shirt because of the rips, the tears, <laughs> the washing, the all that. I, I think it's just thread. You still got it now? You still wear it? Oh, it's my it's my most prized possession. <laughs> more so than uh, the Grey Cup rings, more so than the Hall of Fame rings, more so than anything else. It is my most prized possession because that's what allowed me to do what I did. It was that frame you of no mind. Doubt. You got to put it in a shadow <clears throat> box. Oh, you got to put that in a shadow yes. box. Yeah, yeah. Put it in the fan <laughs> cave. <laughs> mm-hmm. I get Oh, it, it it's tucked away in the safety deposit. I that thing I I that's the most cherished item that I have as far as my football memorabilia. So houses on how- Oh yeah, that's gotta be like an heirloom. Yeah. Passing it down oh, yeah. from generation. Yeah. So house cool. is on fire, you're going straight for the shirt and that's it. <laughs> well no, you save the save the wife and kids yeah, yeah. first. <laughs> then I go for the shirt. Oh, that's awesome. We were talking about it uh yesterday. And just saying, I was saying how watching your highlight tape leading up to this interview, I had nightmares last night. Anytime a defensive lineman takes his helmet off and is wearing a bandana, you just know that's a bad dude on the other side. So my question is, what was the secret recipe that kind of got you jacked up to play into a football game? Because obviously watching your highlight tape, we saw a high motor guy play after play, just hit after hit after hit. Well, I tell you what, it was a privilege and an honor to play the game of football for as long as I did, and I didn't take it for granted. I knew that the next day or the next play or the next second, it could be gone in a heartbeat. So I cherished the moments of uh, the the chance to compete. And I, I love to compete. I love to go out there against another another human being and, and compete at a high level. And there's just so much that went into it. I mean, it what you saw on game days and what you saw in the highlight tape were accumulation of all the coaches that I had, the upbringing that I had. And there's just so many things that go into it. So many little pieces and parts that let you do what you do on that, on game day. And I cherished every second of it. There's nothing of, of, of the game that I dreaded. The only thing I dreaded was travel. Why? Because it was hurry up and wait. (laughs) I I wanted to get this game going. I wanted to get her done. But that's the only thing. I loved training camp. I, I, I loved every process, everything that it took to play. I loved it. Didn't dread a single thing except travel. 
<laughs> and I, I kind of wanted to get into your, your early days of football because you, you started and you played you actually played with your older brother at Northern Michigan for a while. How long did you play for him until I think I heard somewhere that you ended up taking his scholarship? Can you kind of explain that? Well, it all started. I went, well, shit, you know, we're only 18 months apart. And you know what? That's basically twins. So everything we did, we competed. No matter what the hell it was, we competed from a young age on. And then we had the opportunity to play high school football together for two years. And he was a quarterback and I was a tailback. And then he graduated. He got a scholarship to go to Northern Michigan. I still had a year left of high school football. So I had a pretty dang good high school uh, career. Didn't really think I was going to play anywhere. I didn't, you know, I thought I was going to the junior college to learn a trade and get on with my life. And uh, lo and behold, the coaches at Northern came and uh, said, would you like a scholarship? And then my dad said, oh, yeah, you know, because he gave me money to come play and help pay for school. You're going to get an education, boy. I said, all right. (laughs) But little did I know my brother was there a year before me and he, he was doing good. And then he shattered his thumb and he had some injuries and they basically cut him and gave me his scholarship. Was there any like, was was there any bad blood there at all, or was it was it just like okay? What do it was you ba- think? Oh man, <laughs> I can't even imagine. It's crazy. When you grow up competing against each other, and you know everything was a contest. <laughs> I mean, who could spit the farthest? Who could whatever? It didn't matter. We always competed, and and we were, and yeah, it was it was a competition. There was little, you know, but. That that's when you learn the game of football is a cutthroat business right out yeah, of the gate. Yeah, no doubt. Yeah, and I would imagine. I mean, I I feel like you would be looking forward to terrorizing him in practice, playing playing defense while he's playing quarterback. Like that had to have been an exciting. Oh, hell, I had a cheap shot at him every chance I got. <laughs> what about you? But the purity of the, I'll tell you what though, it, that brings up another thing. The purity of the game. You guys really got to start to think about this. The purity of the game is Pop Warner because the kids are out there. Why? Because they want to play the game and the love of the game. So when you get to high school, why do you play the game? Well, you want to get the chicks and you want to get a scholarship. Okay. So Mm -hmm. now you get to college. You want to get more scholarship. If you're at division two, they can increase your scholarship and you still want to get the chicks. (laughs) And then at the professional level, you're still doing it for the money and the chicks. (laughs) So the purity of the game is if you if you ever lose contact with the purity of the game, go watch Pop Warner. So mm. what I got out of that is women drive football. That that's what I got from that, and it sounds pretty accurate. <laughs> well, I tell you what, if I didn't have my wife, I would have never played twelve years. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's, that's guaranteed. Awesome. Uh, I want to talk about. Guaranteed. I want to talk about the Molson Cup most popular player. You got that in 1987 and in 1997. What, they don't do that anymore. So I'm just curious, was it a player vote? And, and what did you get? Did you get some most? It was a, it was a fan vote. First of all, it was a fan vote. They voted for the most popular player that they liked and this and that. And <clears throat> I don't, I can't even remember. I don't even know. I think I got a, I think it was a huge, it, it was a stereo. Like it had Molson beer can that had a stereo inside. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I think I got that one year and I can't remember. I, you know, things, things get cloudy no doubt. here and there. Once yeah, in a while, no so. doubt. But no Molson's with it. Just hysteria. Well, no, back in the, back in the day, anytime you went to the bar and uh, you drank Molson product, it was free. Oh man. Gotta love it. 
uh-huh because they were our major sponsor mm-hmm. and anytime you go you just sign the check at the end of the night and if it was for beer you had, they took care of it that's that's the cfl was being the wild wild west in the late 80s early 90s <laughs> it was it was fun and you guys flew commercial right most of your flights were commercial yeah oh yeah Oh, all of them were commercial. You guys, even going out far west to BC, you guys flew commercial, huh? Oh, yeah. Only only when we did the expansion into the States did we do charter. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so... And that was a shit, that was a yeah, shit show at I best, heard. too. I mean, that's hard because you got to pay guys U.S. dollars if you're living in the U.S., Canadian dollars if you're in Canada. And it's just, I mean, there's just so many hoops you got to jump through. Well, there were so many things. They didn't have to go by the import ratio or nothing oh, because really? it was unpracticed, unfair labor laws in the United States to say you had to have the X amount. So it was all Americans. <laughs> no wonder their teams okay, were always so, <laughs> Okay, so now you talk to these Americans and there's no drug testing. Well, what the heck? I mean, come mm-hmm. on. I'm playing against old linemen that are 315 pounds and look like freaking bodybuilders. <laughs> are you kidding me? Yeah. That's oh, crazy. Man. That's good insight right there. I like that. Yeah. Are you kidding me? And they're athletic as I am. And I'm going, holy shit. I'm weighing at 235 the first year that, or I was about 240, 245. And I'm going against these 310, 315. I said, uh, next year I'm coming back a little heavier myself. <laughs> <laughs> and you, I heard you say one thing that really resonated with me. And people were like, when did you like really start to fall in love with Sask? Like winning Grey Cups or playing? You're like, no, the moment we touched down and you saw the prairie and everything. You're like, this is the place for me. This is where I want to play. So can you just like, give me some more insight into that? Oh God. It was the first time. I mean, it's, it's an, it, I came from small division two college, right? Where the, when it rained, our state, our, our locker room was underneath the stadium. And when it rained, guess what? Drip through and got all your stuff wet in your locker and you had to dry it out every, every day that it rained. Mm-hmm. So, and we didn't have the best of everything and we were division two. So when I got to Canada and, and uh, I saw the stadium, it was, I thought it was, when I saw Taylor field, it was the best thing I've ever seen in my entire life. And everybody said it was shitty. It was this, it was that. I said, man, this thing is freaking fantastic. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with it right then and there. And then the first time that I drove there, I, I go through North portal and shit. I can see this guy's can see Regina from North portal. <laughs> well, it takes two and a half hours to get there. It's all about perspective. And that's, that's one way to look at it. Well, yeah. And then, then you hear the joke. You can sit on your back porch and watch your dog run away for three days. <laughs> while they're not lying. <laughs> yeah, that's incredible. Before we get into all your amazing sacks, there's one stat that jumps off the charts to me. You had one punt return for 11 yards. Take me through that. Yeah, I did, didn't say I had a forced fumble and gave the ball right back. <laughs> no, it didn't. <laughs> oh, <that's great>. <laughs> <laughs> well, I when I first got up there being, you know, just a Division II player and blah, blah, all that good stuff, and I had to play all – well, I first of all, my, my rookie year, <clears throat> I basically started the non-import rule. I was one of the first players to start the non-import rule when they were using them for special teams. I was only used for special teams when I played in the eight games my wow. rookie year. And then, well, the last three games of the of the year, I started, which happened to be in Edmonton, which happened to be in the coldest game that I ever played in my entire life. It was minus 35 with the wind chill. It was the last game of the season. We were out of the playoffs, but I was happy as hell because I was starting. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
35 below with the wind. How'd you stay warm? You guys didn't have the heaters on the sideline back then. And, and of, well, yeah, they had a, they had one heater that, yeah. Okay. So, of course, you got the Roger Aldegs. You got all the old school guard. You can't wear sleeves and you can't wear yeah. sleeves. Nobody can wear <laughs> sleeves. And then I'm sitting there freaking freezing my butt off, 35 below. And gassing her. Oh. It's surprising <laughs> no one got frostbite if it's 35 below and you're not wearing oh, sleeves. Oh, it was freaking cold. And they're wearing broom ball shoes. And of course, Edmonton at the time, with you know, they, they what they did is they had the sharks, the rubber molded bottom mm-hmm. shoes. So they'd get drywall screws and snip them off. And they drill the bottom of their shoes and they put them in with the pair of players. And that's how them some guns would cheat like hell. What? And 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 they were able to stand up on that frozen because Commonwealth was was natural grass. Okay, so after the game, I look on my bicep. I got two scratch marks perfectly across my bicep. Uniform scratches. They weren't freaking fingernail no, scratches because no. everything. Heck no. <laughs> but that's what they used to do. If you ain't cheating, you ain't trying. Man, I guess. That, man, everyone's doing it now. You look at the Astros and. It seems like every, Patriots, it's everyone's trying to find an edge, but once. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. They'll deny it to this day. Of course <laughs> they will. And it didn't take long for you to really find a, a ton of success, even after only starting or playing eight games, because you were a CFL West All Star in 87. And I'm was that just like a whirlwind to turn around and then become an All Star so quickly? Well, it, it, it was it was it was pretty neat. The whole, the whole story goes is that Jack Goto was the head coach at the time, and they had 120 guys coming to training camp. And Jack Nota, Jack Goto's brother grew, lived in the UP where I'm at in Upper Michigan, and uh, he followed my high school and my college career. And he told his brother about me, and so uh, he gave me a chance, and I was the last guy brought to camp. I was the 120th guy brought to camp. And, and what Jack did for me, God rest his soul, is he gave me chances and opportunities to show if I was capable of playing at the next level. So we get there as rookies in uh, two weeks because we had rookie camp and training camp was six weeks long. It was just like the NFL does, but it's changed since then. And, you know, it was, I felt pretty good going against all the other rookies for two weeks. And then, of course, the veterans come on the bus and off walks all big. <laughs> Laurie Skullrood yeah. and all these guys. And I'm going, oh, my God, Skullrood's 6'8". He freaking looks like a Wookiee. He's got hair and beard. These guys are full-grown men. I'm lucky I got a hair on my chest and on my chin. These guys come sauntering out of the bus, and I go, oh, boy. <laughs> what did I do now? So the first uh, time we put the pads on, go to fuck grabs me. Throws me in there with all day. Coming off his Shinley nominee that the players used to nominate, the D lineman nominated the best old lineman in the league, and it was Roger Alday. So I pull him my first one-on-one. So I get up there the first time. Don't even know who the hell Roger Alday is. Roger who? I mean, I didn't know shit. So I go up against Roger. I beat him quick as shit. Well, that old timer got showed up by a young buck. He said, I want to go again. I said, all right. So I go back again, you know, just like just bouncing around like, yeah, it was no big deal. So I went against him for the second time. Beat him even quicker. And from that day forth, things started to go in the right direction. I'll tell you that. And then it just built my confidence up. But without Jack putting me in those positions to earn spots and earn respect and earn playing time, I'd have 
never got the chance coming out of a little division two college when there's all those other guys coming out of the big 10 and the ACC SEC. I mean, they had their pick of the litter and he gave me a chance and opportunity to shine. So the seven, eight games that the eight games that I played my rookie year, I had, I had a lot of confidence going in because I started the three, three game last three games and uh, got the training camp in great shape and, Things started going good, and I just rode the tide. I mean, I just just started playing my ass off, having fun, loving the game, and enjoying every aspect yeah, of it. Yeah, that, and that was one of the things we got watching. We watched that uh, documentary. It was about a 30-minute documentary leading up to this, and you can just – it it just screams you love football coming off of it. My, uh, my one question is, because the CFL was so different a, cu- a couple years ago, um, what was the rookie hazing? That, did you have any rookie hazing in your first training camp? Yeah, we had to. Uh, what the hell did we have to do? We had to get, there was nothing nothing serious. We had to uh, sing a song. Okay, yeah, that's, that's stayed pretty standard throughout. Yeah, I did the Gilligan Island <laughs> theme song. That's where you gain the respect of the veterans, though. What I've found. Oh yeah. Is- Oh yeah, when you can belt out the uh, the Gilligan yeah. If you oh, go yeah. out there and just don't care, and you just give it everything you got, that's when the veterans are like, okay, I'll take you under my wing. But it's the guys who want to fight it and think they're too cool for that. It's it's yeah. I mean, good lord, it's not that big of a yeah. deal. I mean, just get up there, sing your song, make an ass of yourself. They Exactly. The more you dig your heels in, well, then that just pisses exactly. them off. So I tell you what. Trust the thing. The, the words that I live by is attract the least amount of attention to yourself as possible. <laughs> is that how you got your wife? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> oh, I love it. Okay, so you played with some great quarterbacks and against some great quarterbacks. Who was your favorite and most all-time quarterback you sacked? Where you're like, this is pretty awesome. Well, all of them were. I mean, they were everyone back in the day. They, I mean. You had the Damon Allens. You, I mean, back in the day, Edmonton had okay, okay. So Matt Dunnigan comes trotting out there, Uh right? So you chase that some gun around for a while, then all of a sudden he gets a little tired, and then who do they bring in? Well, they trot out Damon (laughs) Allen. They have the one-two punch. Oh, okay. So now Damon comes off the bench, fresher than shit, and now you got to chase him. (laughs) I'm going, holy Christ! Those two. Those two, I I like that tandem because it was it was they were unbelievable unbelievable athletes unbelievable people quarterbacks i mean they all were fun and then some of the guys that weren't good you know didn't want to run as much enjoyed playing against them because i didn't have to run (laughs) sideline to sideline so i love hunting them all i mean that was the name of the game get pressure on the quarterback like you know sitting there in contract negotiations jerson we're not paying you to tackle the ball carrier we're paying you to sack the quarterback i said all right fine then let's go (laughs) did any of those uh old school quarterbacks have like an edge to them and talk some smack because i know that's kind of gone by the wayside oh my god yeah who's the cat from freaking uh calgary oh johnson my one of my first games, I had Hebler and uh, Rick Goltz in Saskatchewan. I was playing on D line with them, and 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 it was Rick Johnson, and he was just <laughs> the cockiest guy you can imagine. He'd get up to the line, and Hebler and Goltz are talking shit, and then all of a sudden he's telling me, "Hey, Goltz, running the ball right here, right up your ass," and I'll be a son of a bitch. I'm going. I'm just going. I'm a young guy. I don't even know what the hell's going on here. 
So they they did. And then we shut him down. And I mean, they just talked. And yeah, he was fun. We went it's always out of fun to, to go up against guy. those guys who have the edge, too. Oh, yeah. They, they, it's, yeah, but I'll tell you what. Attract the least amount of attention to yourself as possible. Don't make me want to get to you more than I already <laughs> exactly. do, right? I mean, because I tell you what, I played with Tommy Burgess and I played against Tommy Burgess. And man, I mean, I hit that son of a gun so hard so many freaking times when he played in Ottawa and he would just get up and give me a pat on the ass and goes, nice hit. And it would just, <laughs> I think it pissed me off even more if he'd have got up and talk shit. So... <laughs> It, it's it's different ways to attract the least amount of attention to yourself as possible. And Tommy was good at that. So was Kent Austin. Mm-hmm. He was another one. They're all fun. Yeah. It was, it was, they were all fun to play against because it was competing at a high level. I mean, you don't get to be a quarterback in the CFL <laughs> if you're a slapper yeah. now. Good point. Especially back then. I mean, they had right? some good, you guys, you had some oh. good quarterbacks week in, week out that you were going against. Incredible. Oh my goodness. And, and there were some that could run like the wind and there were some that would throw the ball so quick, Chris, you couldn't even get two <laughs> steps and the ball was Some gone. of those guys were making a million dollars, which is crazy. <laughs> yeah. Back in the day, that was unheard of. Yeah. Uh, unheard of. Out of 142 sacks, which is the all-time leader, the ones that stand out the most to us was you had 16 sacks on a torn ACL. Holy cow, you are a tough SOB, man. That is incredible. Just take me through when you felt your knee go, like you obviously knew you were playing hurt and you just said, hey, let's just tape it up. I'm going to get through this. And then you end up playing the whole year. Sick, and led the league, I think, with 16 sacks. Yeah, it was tied for the league league with 16 sacks. I think it was with James Curry. And we were fighting back and forth to get the sack lead. But I think it was like the third or fourth game into the season. And I was... Uh, and they ran – they they had a running play. I don't know who the hell it was. It was on our side – going to our sideline at home. And I just freaking – I was pursuing and I dove and I, and I nailed the guy. And then I get whipped around and my leg hit somebody else. And then it just went – it oh. popped. When you feel that warm burning sensation, not in yeah. a good way, <laughs> and it, I knew something was wrong. So – we, they figured it out. The ACL was gone. Meniscus was torn, this and that. And then I said, well, he, what can we do? Well, they said, we can take out the meniscus and, and trim up the ACL and you brace it up and you'll be good to go. And we'll get her done at the end of the year. I said, great. I And I mean, the, it was it was great that John Gregory limited me the amount of time I, I had to practice and stuff that year. I mean, I didn't have to practice every single day like uh-huh. a madman. Cause they were waiting for getting you saving me for the games, but I did manage and I worked my ever living ass off and rehabbed it and got her strong and kept her going. And, and then uh, in the final against Edmonton before the great cup, it was near the end of the game. And we, you know, after that, that game was something else. That was our great cup really, man. Cause once we won that one, we knew it was over for Hamilton. But I retweaked that son of a gun because there was nothing in there. Once in a while, I mean, it would it would retweak, yeah. and I tweaked it so goddamn much I didn't practice once during Great Cup. Oh, damn. I didn't practice once, and give John Gregory credit that some bitch put me in there and let me start that game, and I played the whole damn game. 
without even practicing once. That's the stuff you just don't hear of anymore. That Ronnie Lott stuff, just playing through anything. Like if you get if you get a too bad of a bruise, you'll get a game's rest nowadays. Well, give give John Gregory credit. I mean, he could he and all and all he should. That's the respect he had for me, though. Since I bucked up and I played the, the whole season for him, he showed me the respect and said, "All right, you don't have to do nothing but play on mm-hmm. Sunday." I said, "Thank you very much." Two way street. See how that goes. Yep, and that's the respect that was given to me by him. And I, it was it was a need to, to play that game took a lot. And that made you want to play even more for a guy like that, you know? Oh, heck yeah. Oh, it was, it was good. It was really good. I, John Gregory and all the coaches for the most part are, are, are damn good people. They're crazy. I don't know this coaching gig. I don't know how they do it for so many years, man. But all the coaches that I played for, everyone had a little different twist to them. You, you, you know, you give, you take certain things, certain qualities they have and, and, they're, they were all great guys to play for. Man. Well, you had five principles one year. I believe one of your coaches gave you. Can you give us those five principles that you live by? Well, that all started back in college. It's called our fourth quarter program, and it's a, it's a program basically it's almost run like a Marine program. Well, my, my uh, D-line coach was an ex-Marine, so he knew the mental aspects and mental approaches of the game. So we live by the, the, there's five principles. We had effort, discipline, courage, enthusiasm, and pride. And those are the five principles that we lived our life by. And if you can do those five things, I don't care if you're a garbage man. I don't care if you're a a doctor. I don't care if you're a nurse, a teacher. If you can live by those five principles in your life, you'll have a successful life. Yeah. And one thing that our coaches at Northern taught us, it was uh, obviously they taught us football, but they also taught us the game of life and what football is outside. There is life after football, which served me well when the time did come when my time was up. And there are so much lessons in football and not many coaches focus on that anymore of teaching you life lessons through football. Now it's just all about X's and O's as opposed to what you're truly learning. And I think that's what creates men who can go out and perform in all society. And it's the coaches that say, Hey, no, this is more than just a game. You're learning a lot more than that. That that's my main goal here at Northern. You know, the reason I came back here is because I wanted to give back. I wanted to pay forward everything that was given to me when I was here. And, you know, the, those years that you come to college at that 18, that 18 to 22, 18 to 23 are so informative of years that you're growing into a young man that these guys did a hell of a job. They, they built upon the values that were taught to you by your parents then by your high school coach, and they were teaching the same values. So it wasn't hard for me to get in line and do the things that they wanted me to do because it was the same way that I was raised. It was the same way that was reinforced as a high school, and it's the same way that was reinforced in college. So those things just kept on building upon each other. Now the college coaches have a chance and opportunity to take you to that next level, and it's that mental. What these guys don't understand, and a lot of them are walking in that locker room in Regina right now, this game is 95% mental, 5% physical. That mental edge to go out there and grind 18 games out and do a training camp and to be consistent and to do it day in and day out, that's what gets a guy paid. Yeah. 
You can't be up one week and down three weeks and up one week and down four weeks. You got to freaking be on an even kill all the time. Yeah, I love that. That's that's it. And that's when the mental part comes into play. Everybody thinks you got to lift, run, jump, do all these things. Yes, those are fine and dandy and they're great things. But the mental approach to the game is one of the key aspects that a lot of these guys fail yeah. to get. They're not mentally tough enough to, 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 to break through to the other side. Yeah, they can run, they can jump, and they're unbelievable athletes. But if you can't string both of them together, uh, mm. it's a short-lived career. And people go, well, how will you be able to last 12 years? Well, was it? I was gifted, but not to the point where some players are. It was the mental approach to the game is what made me gifted for the 12 years to play at that level. Yeah, you hit it on the nose. It's all about when things get tough, what are you going to do? And nowadays, some of these kids are so pampered and throughout their high school and then college, and then they get to the professional and it's like they forgot what the hard work or working for a spot. Some of these guys have started at their position from a freshman in high school all the way throughout college. And then it's the first time they're sitting behind someone and then they're just, you know, a tough teammate to be around. So yeah, that's it's, it's you're exactly right. 95% mental. And those are the guys who stick, like you said, for 10, 15 years in the league. Well, you just got to grind her out. That mental aspect of the game is such a huge thing. And, and that's what I try to teach my guys. And of course, you know, it's there's other things that I've learned along the way. I, I, I kept trying to reinvent myself every year that I came back to training camp. I had to find something new that would make me a little bit better than it was the next year, whether it was through training, whether it was seeking out people that obviously it was easy for me to seek out people that knew more than me. So I would go and uh, I got into the meditation. I got into the, 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 the smart talk. I got into uh, mental uh, imagery. I got every year I would add another thing that would just make me that much more yeah, I'm a, I'm a big believer all. in the visualization stuff. That's something that I've really tried to implement in offseason. And I think it, it makes a huge difference and people don't always necessarily get exposed to it. Well, the, the, the think about it, the mental reps. I mean, it, it's no different than lifting weights. The more mental reps that you get, the better. I mean, it's just like film study. The more you see it visually and then when it actually does happen, cuts down on your reaction time. I became a student of the game because I, okay, so as your career gets a little bit older, okay, I might have lost a step. Well, now how am I going to be a step faster than that fast cat coming in that's 21, 22-year-old freaking ready to roll? Well, I tell you what, he's got to stop, think, and react mm -hmm. where I just reacts. So now my 4.7 is just as right. good as his 4.5. And right. I, I did, I did want to get into to nah. your guys' Grey Cup run because that's why it's regarded as one of, like the the best Grey Cup of all time. So, and and I want to get into the after part, like what ha what happened in Sask after. Can you just take me through that experience? Well, I, you know, I, I say you've heard it. You probably heard it on a couple interviews. If you were to write the story of the '89 Grey Cup season, you would it people would go bullshit. They'd call the alt in a heartbeat because there were so many twists and turns and so many things that were just mind-boggling. I mean, when you have the Glenn Suter, Christ, BC Lions get, I think it was, what, four plays with no time left mm -hmm. on the clock to win the goddamn yeah. game? 
who the hell, somebody came back. We were with two and a half minutes to go. I think it was Calgary came back and beat us, and we were up 14 I points. I want to I wanna get your pulse I mean, on this because what <laughs> at what point in the season did your coach make you guys get sized for the Grey Cup rings? He started that. He started that mid-season-ish, early first. I God, I can't remember exactly, but he started, and then we started on that mental aspect. Did that of just it. fire and, you guys uh, up, or what? He started. Well, it started to get you to to think that that the mental side of the game is a huge component, which is going to carry us through the run in the end, and and anything that was thrown at us, we overcame it. I mean, think of that. I mean, the situation, the suitor, and you talk about giving up 14 points, and then you have uh, Austin getting hurt, and then Burgess comes in, and you got a loner, and you got freaking Ellingson throwing blocks, and you got – I'll tell you what. There wasn't a lot of success happening in Saskatchewan there for a lot of years, and I'm going to tell you a couple few funny stories, right? Okay, so in, in Winnipeg, they have the cannon, right? So every time the, the bombers scored, they'd shoot the cannon. Well, that year they happened to run out of gunpowder because they shot the goddamn cannon so much. So that that was one thing. Then in in Edmonton, they'd do the fire truck around the outside edge, right, and throw footballs into the stands. Well, shit, that thing ran out of gas. Okay. The next thing is in Calgary. Well, the horse would run the sidelines. Some bitch had a freaking asthma attack and dropped almost dead on the sidelines. So I've been on a bunch of butt kickings and a lot of things happening. And but it was the mental toughness part of the game that that got us going. But that wasn't all Grey Cup year. That was just incidences through the years. But that was the wins were far and few in between, and 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 uh, playoffs were far it's, and few. That's got to give you some I, perspective I, I, too. Like having those tough years, it makes you appreciate when you're able to go on streaks and things like that. Well, yeah, Bill Baker did a hell of a job of getting the guys that we needed for that Grey Cup run. Then Al Ford took it over, and it was there was just a bunch of blue collar workers that would punch the clock, and they would do whatever it takes. Your Dave Albrights, your Eddie Lowe's, your Gary Lewis's, your Vince Goldsmiths, your uh, Timmy McCrae's, your Burgesses, your Austins, your Narcisse and Fairholm. There was just a, a there was no superstars, so to speak. Yeah. And everyone had a hand in it from the guy on the practice roster to the freaking guy that the, the top dog, everybody had a hand in it in that 89 great cup year. It wasn't just the, the, the top guys that made the team go. It took a total team yeah. effort to win and, and to carry it on through all the way to the great cup. It was, it was so unbelievable that it was, it was, it was uh, truly something I don't think could ever be repeated again. I'm a firm believer that team camaraderie in the locker room is what wins great cups. Everyone's talented, but the team that is the closest in the locker room wins the great cup. Do you feel that that 89 team was the closest team you've been uh, in a locker room with, or did you have teams that were closest? Oh yeah. yeah. Oh yeah. That's a good statement. I truly, truly, it was locker room chemistry that that does it. Because you know, you get to a point where you start playing for each other, and and that's why you play through the injuries. They had to hide Eddie Lowe's pads. So when Ivan, when when he was nicked, they'd have to hide his pads because he'd still go out and practice no matter what anybody wow. said. So they hid his pads, and that's the type of guys we had. Dave Albright had a broken freaking forearm. And it was poking out of his skin. So he goes to the sideline and just have Ivan tape a pad over it and freaking uh, tape him up and he was good to go. 
it it didn't see that that's one you to win at all costs i mean just to compete and, and not to let down your yeah brain. and it's more about you're exactly right the guy next to you than it is you and that's why you felt like there was yeah. no superstars on your team because no one was like look at me it was like hey this guy over here is playing as hard as he can with a broken finger i'm going to do everything i can on my side Oh yeah, it was a lot of everybody stepped up at different times of the year. I mean, it was Mark Guy that had some hell of a catches to set up the field goal to win the game. It was a hell of a snap by Poli. It was a hell of a hold by Suter. It was all those things came, and you know, it was the Western Final was the really we knew we were going to win the Great Cup once we won that Western Final because Edmonton was sixteen and two, and they led every category and every offense and defense, and they were freaking oh my god, they were a good damn yeah. team. But we went in there and things clicked, and Tanel Alapate went down, hammered a guy, picked a got a fumble. Albright picks one up and scoops and scores. Christ, we blitzed uh, Suter thirteen times from his free safety position that game to stymie him a little, and you know the stars did a uh-huh. line. And they have to. They have to, especially in tough seasons like that. Oh, yeah. It's good to be lucky. Lucky. Yeah, I never good. jumped on anybody sitting right in now. the shade, though. <laughs> yeah, you're there. Um, I, I guess the we always ask the guys that are retired, your three things you miss most about playing football, especially for playing for the green and white. Well, you know, it's – think about it. You know, I did something, I, I climbed my Mount Everest at the age of 34, well, I, you know, when my career ended. I mean, football was my life till I was 34. I lived and died. The sun rose by the game. The I, Everything that I did was, was predicated to being better. And then it was all about reinventing myself. Uh, what am I going to do without football? I mean, football, it, it was my lifeblood. I mean, I had the chance and opportunity to play 12 extra years of scholarship <laughs> exactly. football. You know what I mean? <laughs> it was, it was, it was, a, uh, I don't, it was unbelievable. I, it's, it's tough. It's the camaraderie of the players. I mean, you know, the guys that, that I, I lived year round when I, when I was playing in, 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 in Regina and I just fell in love with the whole place. Well, people say, well, how can you fall in love with Regina? I mean, the people there are just so downhearted, good, wholesome people that I loved it. My family loved it there. We didn't envision ourselves ever leaving Regina, ever. And we thought that was going to be our home for the rest of our lives. Well, you know, things twist and turn and there's change and bumping a road and all this stuff. But I miss the camaraderie. I miss the com- competing. And I miss the violence. <laughs> I just the sheer utter brutality of the game is what I miss. And uh, that's, that's, that was the tough thing. How do you replace that after doing it for 12 years at the professional level, four years at the collegiate and then four years in high school. And how do you replace that? Without getting thrown into jail. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. How, how do you, you know, it's hard to flip that switch. I mean, every weekend you got to go out there and the more violent you were, the better you played, right? And whew, that was a tough one. That was a tough one for me to, and I'm still trying to figure that one out. (laughs) (laughs) So you you played for 12 years. You're playing through broken bones. You're playing through losing streaks. You're playing through tough times, this and that. And then in 2006, you get that validation and that call to be enshrined in the Canadian Football Hall of Fame. What was that like? 
you know what? It was it was a huge honor and it was a privilege. Anything that ever happened to me, I mean, I owe the game. The game doesn't owe me anything. I owe the game. The game made me who I am today. And I mean, the people that I played with, the people around me, the people that supported me, they made me who I am today. I, The game owes me nothing. And I owe the game everything. And to get that nod in, in there was a huge validation of all the commitment and all the things that I did. And, uh, and it was, it was it just put the stamp mm-hmm. on her. But like I said, I, the game owes me nothing. I owed the game everything. So, and guys don't realize that. I mean, you can't be bigger in the game. And there's no one bigger in the game. I mean, the game is the game, man. And my, my, one of my favorite quotes that I tell a lot of the guys on the team is it don't matter how much I love football. That thing will never love me back, which is hard. It's oh. hard to, to have oh. that, you know, not love back. You know it. <laughs> Oh, you know it. I tell you what, don't take that son of a bitch for granted. It'll bite you in the ass yeah. in a heartbeat now. Yeah. No matter how much time, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're dealing with it now with our season being canceled officially. You know, you put in all this, yeah, all this a- time in the off season, all this work, and you put in so much effort and just love the game so much. And then a blink of an eye, it's like, okay, it's gone. And you got to cherish it. Boy, I tell you what, I don't know how I would be handling that right now. I really don't. I still if don't I was know how I'm doing. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, that would that would just be that would be so mind blowing to me because because the I I know the effort that that you have to put in to play at a high level and I and and then you know that excitement of the season's coming, training camp's coming, the excitement, the building, the anticipation, and all of a sudden, uh, yeah. no. I'm like, who, who? That's a tough one. I mean, we have it at the collegiate level, but I'm a I'm a coach. I'm not a player. I mean, I, I can see it. I, it's hard for me to understand what you guys are going through. I've never, it's a hundred year, you know, pandemic stuff that's never happened for a hundred years. And I hope it never happens for another thousand years for crying out loud. It's a t- I, you're in a tough, you're in a tough spot right now, but the way I see it and I tell my guys, it's just a chance for you to get that yep. much better. You'll see who's going to work and you'll see who the guys who take the time and take it as vacation and that, and that'll show. Yep. Yeah, it'll show it. It's a chance for us to, to 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 take it to the next level now because we've had a young team. We basically came here and rebuilt our team, so we've taken our bumps and our lumps with with the freshmen we're playing, true freshmen, redshirt freshmen, redshirt sophomore. So, of course, we took it on the chin a lot, and this was our year to freaking turn the corner and and put the boots to people because then all guess what? Just through natural maturity of the boys getting yeah. older, they're getting bigger, exactly. stronger, yeah. faster, more confident, but. It's not from what we're doing. It's just through the natural maturity of these players. And now we don't have the chance. And it's tough for a lot of these young kids to wrap their minds around that, let alone a professional Mm -hmm. athlete. I think you nailed it on the head. I think there's going to be a lot of mental struggles with guys who all they know is football. The only reason they go to school is because football. The only reason they have an opportunity to go to school is because of football. And it's just like, it's going to be so hard. For me, the hardest thing is football has a smell. And right now I walk out of my house and I smell football and I'm like, I should be playing. Oh, it's in the air. I hear you. I hear yeah. you. And that's what's hard. It, it's, well, for us as coaches now and in, 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 in Northern Michigan is that we have to keep our kids in the saddle. We have to keep them thinking football year round so they don't go off yeah. the rail. We got to make sure that we do whatever we can and whatever the guidelines that they give us to, that we can do with our players. We got to make sure we keep them in the saddle and, and let them see the big picture. These guys, 
they got to realize they can't see what we see. And you even as a player can't see what your coaches see. You know mm-hmm. what I'm saying? You, you get those blinders on and, and sometimes you get so locked into what you're doing, you really can't see the big picture. And the big picture is I see, and especially having, I've been a professional athlete longer than I've been a coach. So I still see it through a player's eyes. I see the game through the player's eyes is that we have a great chance and opportunity to get way better than we were just a minute Mm -hmm. ago. Every minute that goes by, we got a chance to get better. And these guys got to see it. It, It's not the end all into the world right now. This, this time will pass and we will get better. And when that time comes and when we get the call, we got to be ready to go. Not kind of, sort of, because this game can't be a kind of, sort of thing. Because if you kind of, sort of do it, then guess what? You're getting your butt kicked. (laughs) Oh, I'm kind of, sort of ready for a training camp to open. Oh, no, you better not be kind of, sort of, because you know what? The guy that guy that is right next to you, he's willing to, he wants your job. That guy, he prepared his ass off. So we got to be ready to go. You can't trick football. The The cream always rises to the top at at the end of the day. Oh yeah, there, there's no doubt about it. No doubt about it. Start talking <laughs> Canadian again, huh? <laughs> well, we're gonna go to our last segment here. We we call it the two minute drill, where we ask you as many questions that you can answer in two minutes. I believe last week um, Andy Fantuz was the winner. Or he's on the leaderboard for 23 questions he answered. So oh, yeah, boy. so we're gonna put you through the grinder here a little bit. Um, I won't, I won't start the clock until the first questions asked and the way we'll do it is I'll ask 10 questions and Isaac will ask 10 and then we'll go keep going from there just so you have an idea. Okay. All right, right. here we go. First question is what was the attendance to the 1989 gray cup? 67,203, no 71. How many receiving yards did you have in your career? Oh boy, uh, sixty-seven. What's better, catching a pass or sacking a QB? Sacking a QB. Is come cereal on. soup? Why or why not? No. <laughs> why not? No, it's not. <laughs> you can put milk. In. What's the What's the best joke you know? Uh, sitting <laughs> on your back porch watching dog run away for two. What's invisible but you wish people could see? Desire. What's the weirdest smell you have ever smelled? Oh, Lyman. Is a hot dog a sandwich? Why not? (laughs) What's the most ridiculous fun fact you know? Uh, Fun fact I know. Uh, The funniest teammate you ever had. Funniest teammate. Uh, Does pineapple deserve to go on pizza? What is your spirit animal? Would you rather uh, be chased by one horse-sized duck or ten duck-sized horses? <laughs> What's Neither. the most embarrassing thing you've ever worn? <laughs> What's Singlet. your favorite fast food place? Uh, hair metal or grunge? Both. Uh, high dive or the lazy river? Lazy river. Last book you read? Uh, Doors. What would the worst Jim what would the worst buy one, get one free sale of all time be? 
Uh, tacos from Taco Bell. If you were wrongly put into an insane asylum, how would you convince them that you're actually sane and not just pretending? Ooh, tough gig. <laughs> Can't pull it off. <laughs> Time. Okay. That was pretty dang good right there. Yeah. You were quick, man. Burning <laughs> through them. <laughs> oh, the one I got hung up on. What was the oh, one the fun I didn't fact even answer? Fun fact. <laughs> oh boy. <laughs> 20, you're at 21. That, that's second place on the leaderboard, tied with Darian Durant. I love it. That's good company to be in. Uh, <laughs> I'll take, I will take some of the load for that. We, we were a little slow today. <laughs> I could wanted to win, damn it. For the Great Cup attendance, it was 54,088 fans. Your uh, your receiving Damn. yards, you didn't give yourself enough credit. Seventy nine yards. Yeah. yeah. Other than that, you're dead on. I don't believe pineapple is, deserves to be on pizza either. So I'm right there with you. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh man, we appreciate you. Uh, that was a great interview. I know our listeners are going to absolutely love that. So thank you so much. You guys got any other questions you want to know? <sighs> man, off the top of my head here, let's see what else we got for you. Okay, I got a few more just off the off the record. Are you a coffee or tea guy? Oh, coffee. Really? God dang it. You know what? Here's the thing. I blame Canada for this one. <laughs> God dang it. You know, my mom, now, it was the coffee clutchers, and I never drank coffee when I was growing up. I never drank coffee when I was in, in college and that. But I get up there, and I start hanging out with those old linemen, Aldeg and Pulley and all those guys, and it all revolved around coffee. I started drinking coffee – in 1986 and i haven't stopped since <laughs> ever since i went to canada it was always about that might have been it though because then you started taking off your football career you started playing <laughs> the secret playing sauce it was the secret <laughs> sauce rocket fuel yeah you need a rocket fuel to chase that some gun that some bitch was fast I, I, oh yeah rocket oh Ishmael? yeah heck yeah well, quadri ismail yeah oh yeah name? oh my god i'm i'm covering a punt right and I have the freaking perfect angle on him. He blew my <laughs> angle five yards and gave me burn so goddamn bad. I mean, I took the perfect angle, pursuit angle. I had him, and I mean, he just gone like the wind. I was chasing <laughs> asshole and elbows all the way down the field. Well, speaking of fast, I got one more question for you because Andy Fantuz had a ridiculous number here. What's the fastest you've ever drove a car? Fastest I've ever drove a car was 115 miles miles per hour, not kilometers. Yeah, yeah. yeah I think uh, then That's I got fair. scared. <laughs> Andy Andy Fantin said he was at like two what 245 something like that. Yeah, it, it ended up being like 155 mile an hour or something. Yeah, yeah. I'm not I'm not no, in no, it for no, that either. No, no, I'm not that big of a thrill. I get scared going 70 on the freeway, no. so. <laughs> In the, in the slow lane, you Indiana driver. <laughs> well, we just want to give a well, big shout so out. Much, Six yeah. time CFL West All Star, Grey Cup champ, and a Canadian Football Hall of Famer. We appreciate you coming on. It's been a blast. Thank you. Thanks for having me, boys. If you need me, give me a show. Always appreciate you. Thank you for listening to The Rouge Report, presented by Young's Equipment, a Rough Rider podcast. You're listening to The Rouge Report, brought to you by Young's Equipment, your MacDon headquarters. When you're in the field this harvest, let MacDon lead the way. MacDon headers are built tough, 
to deliver worry-free harvesting performance with any crop, in any condition, and on any combine. Remember to go to youngs.ca and use the podcast code ROUGE, R-O-U-G-E, for your chance to win a writer's prize package.